If you were, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We'll be starting in verse 1. And if you would, read along with me. Again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his oxen or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, our God in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you're with us this morning as we start to approach this extremely important text to the book of Exodus, Lord, this extremely important portion of Scripture to all of the Bible, and really this important portion of Scripture to all of Western civilization, to humanity, Lord. As we approach the Ten Commandments, Lord, I pray that you give us just clarity and insight to the riches and, and depth that is found here in these Ten Words and these Ten Commandments, Lord. Although they're very simple, 
in face value, Lord, I pray that we're able to see just, Lord, how deep they truly are, how profound, how foundational they are, Lord, to ethics and morality. So God, I pray that you're with us this morning as we do an overview and look and make observations that you, again, would give us a clearer understanding in your son's name. Amen. Well, today, obviously, we're going to be continuing through the book of Exodus, and thank Daniel for his sermon last week. I had a chance to go and uh, be out for Zach's graduation um, from the same seminary I graduated from, so it was a very um, special week for me and Sarah to uh, take off and be a part of that. But I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to continue through the book of Exodus. And as we've said before we left, we find ourselves in the exact middle of the book of Exodus, chapter 20, which we've learned is not by accident. This indicates by the author that this is an extremely important passage to the book at whole, the book of Exodus. We've also learned, as we've just read today, that God himself is speaking in this portion of scripture. He is speaking to Israel, the whole nation, out of the fire from Mount Sinai. Meaning, I believe, the author, who the author of Exodus is Moses, I believe Moses, inspired by God, is telling us that the Ten Commandments are extremely important to the book of Exodus. And really, they're extremely important to the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of scripture written all by Moses, and really they're important to the entire Bible. But they're not just important to the book of Exodus and scripture, they're important to Western civilization, and we really need to understand this as a church. They are important to Western civilization. If you, if you want to understand how we got here, and when I say we, the United States, America, how we got here, you have to study the Ten Commandments and their influence on our founding fathers and our government and uh, the nation that um, was planted here all those years ago. Let me just show you what I mean. And, and this is Western civilization as a whole. The two greatest rulers of medieval Europe is Charlemagne of the Franks, and this is the 8th century and Alfred the Great of England in the ninth century, both, both established legal system based off biblical law that included the Ten Commandments. In fact, the laws of Alfred began with a reading or a reciting of the Ten Commandments along with excerpts from Mosaic Law. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, made the Ten Commandments the basis for his Christian catechisms. Let me just read what he stated in, in his catechisms. He says this, Thus, we have in the Ten Commandments a summary of divine instructions, telling us what we have to do to make our whole life pleasing to God and showing us the true source and fountain from and in which all good works must spring and proceed, so that no work or anything can be good and pleasing to God, however great and costly in the eyes of the world, unless it is in keeping with the Ten Commandments. Right? And this is not just Europe. Again, Europe birthed America in a lot of ways. Right? The influence of the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law has been clearly felt in the United States. John Adams has wrote, As much as I love and esteem and admire the Greeks, 
I believe the Hebrews have done more to enlighten and civilize the world. Moses did more than any of their legislators or philosophers. That's an amazing statement. That this truth really, I believe, is ignored in most of modern history classes. That we give way too much credit in my understanding to Greek philosophy and Greek thinking and downplay or even ignore in most cases the influence of scripture and Hebrew thinking to our founding fathers and to our nation and to the government that has blessed us with the, the government that has blessed us so much here in America. In modern history, Harvard Law School professor Alan M. Uh, Dershowitz recently said that the Ten Commandments are clearly a predecessor to all Western law, including American law. And famous apologist Josh McDowell has stated the Ten Commandments represent the most famous codification of absolute truth in the history of humanity. All this to say is that the Ten Commandments are important understand western ethics western law right, you really need to understand the ten commandments therefore because of how important the ten commandments are to the book of exodus to the pentateuch to the bible to ethics to law right to western civilization as a whole we should take our time as we go through this portion of scripture and really examine the ten commandments and try to dig for the depth we see in this portion of scripture. So today, I want to do something a little different than I normally do. If you're a guest this morning, typically we go verse by verse and we do exegetical sermons. I want the word of God to preach and I want that to be true today, but this is going to be less of an exegetical sermon and more of an overview or introduction to the Ten Commandments. I want us to be familiar with the Ten Commandments before we dig into each one in depthly. So today I have seven observations of the Ten Commandments and seven important observations of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to kind of just walk through these seven observations. It's not a logical argument that we're trying to get to a, a central point. I just want to make some observations to get us as a church more familiarized with the Ten Commandments before we start digging into them in depthly. So I got first service out early, which made me very proud. Um, that just means I can slow down and get us out late, second service. So. Um, so let's go through these seven observations. The first observation is this. The Ten Commandments are a summation of the moral law. The Ten Commandments are a summation of the moral law. Right? In the Old Testament, I think we most of us know this, in the Old Covenant, there are many laws. There's many more than just ten laws, ten commandments. In fact, Jewish teachers of Jesus' time say that there are 613 laws, which is probably pretty accurate. But the foundation to all 613 laws are the Ten Commandments. Historic Reformed theology has typically grouped the laws into three categories, and I think it's helpful to group them into these three categories and see the different types of laws in the Old Testament. The first category is the civil laws. Right? These laws are the laws that governed Israel as a nation under God. They're the laws that 
have to do with the government of Israel and the civil laws. Then there's the ceremonial laws. These laws are the, the laws that regulate the worship of God at the temple and in the temple and in various religious festivals like Passover um, and so on. And finally, there's the moral law, right, which is God's righteous and eternal standard for our relationship with him and with others. Reformed theology has historically taught that the moral law is summed up really in the Ten Commandments. Theologians believe that the moral law is also the only law out of the three different types of laws in the Old Testament that transcends both covenants. In the New Covenant, in other words, the civil law and the ceremonial laws have ended. We're no no longer under, as New Covenant believers, the ceremonial laws and the civil laws, but the moral law, summed up in the Ten Commandments, transcends both covenants. Now, this is a very simplistic way of understanding this, and we're going to dig into this a lot more in-depthly as we move on throughout the weeks, but I think it's helpful to see the three different categories and understand that the moral law transcends both covenants. In fact, the moral law transcends all cultures and times. Every man in all of history is accountable to the moral law. Right? This is the law that's found within man's heart from birth by God's common grace. Right? Therefore, man is without excuse. The Ten Commandments are a summation of the moral law, meaning, as I've said before, extremely important. So let's go to the second observation of the Ten Commandments this morning. The second observation is that the Ten Commandments closely reflect the character of God. Let me say that again. The Ten Commandments closely reflect the character of God. Although all the law, and I I want you guys to hear this, although all the law in the Old Testament at some level reflects God's character, the moral law or the Ten Commandments most closely reflects the character of God more than any other portion of the law. J.A. Mortier writes this, The law of God reflects the character of God. Again, it's that concept, be holy because I am holy. The law of God reflects the character of God. It's the likeness of God expressed in precepts and commands. I want you to think about that for a second. The Ten Commandments, we'll just narrow our thinking right now. The Ten Commandments is the likeness of God expressed in Ten Commandments, in Ten Commands. We think about that. We are made in the image of God to image God. Well, what's one of the best ways we can image God then? By keeping the law. By obeying the law. Martyr continues, Obedience to the law triggers in us the image of God, which is our real nature. In other words, we live the truly human life when we obey the Lord's law. Each commandment represents some aspect of the likeness of God, and therefore obedience to God's law gives expression to, to what we really are, beings 
made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. In, in other words, and I want to say this clearly, the law in its proper place after grace, if the law in its proper place brings freedom, in fact, it brings a, a, a help to us in imaging God. It helps us be who we truly are. Martyr continues, when we approach the Ten Commandments then, it should not be in a spirit of foreboding as if we live under a constant threat. Rather, we must learn to cry out with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. Psalm 119, 97. The law in its proper place is a joy because it's motivated by grace. And it points us to how to be truly human, how to be image bearers of God. This brings me to my third observation this morning. The outline of the Ten Commandments is informative. It's, it teaches. Right? The outline of the Ten Commandments is informative. Right? I hope you've seen through preaching, um, even two weeks ago we went through this, that outlines in scriptures can be extremely important in teaching us doctrine and theology and understanding. Um, two weeks ago I reviewed the outline of F, uh, Ephesians, which taught us that doctrine and theology are foundational to practical living, right? especially the doctrines of grace. Right? Paul uses the word therefore to separate grace and law. Right? Grace came or should come before law, before practical living. It's the grace that should motivate us to strive to be like Christ. And we learned that through the outline of Ephesians. We also looked at the outline of Exodus, and we saw the same thing, that grace came before the law. We're at the halfway point of Exodus, and it's chapter 20 that God is finally giving the law to Israel. In the book of Exodus, Israel was saved first by God's grace and then was given the law. In other words, to have a relationship with God, grace and salvation should come before the law. We are saved by grace, not by the law. Obedience to the law should come as a response to grace. And we learn that from the outline of Exodus and from the outline of Ephesians, both Old and New Testament. So outlines can be extremely important and can teach us a lot. And I believe this is true with the Ten Commandments, too. You can split the the Ten Commandments almost in half. The first half is our relationship with God, and the second half is our relationship with others. In fact, many theologians believe that's why there's two tablets. It's not that God's writing was really large. He wrote on one tablet, ran out of room, so grab another tablet. Most believe that there was two tablets because there's two types of commands within the Ten Commandments. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. As you're turning there, let me just give you some context of what's going on here. Uh, We see often that the Pharisees would come and try to trap Jesus by asking him questions that they think were unanswerable, or at least if you answered one way, you get in trouble. If you answer another way, you get in trouble. Well, this is true 
here in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees are coming, and they're going to ask Jesus a question they think is unanswerable. And the reason they think it's unanswerable is because they've debated this question forever, and no one's been able to get an answer to it. So here's the question. They ask him in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They believe that there's heavier laws within the law, and they're asking, which is the heaviest law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? But, and, and let me remind you, they're not talking about the Ten Commandments per se. In their estimation, there is 613 laws in the law, in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament. So which one of those 613 is the greatest? Well, look how Jesus answers, verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Then Jesus says this in verse 39, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know what's interesting about these answers by Jesus to the Pharisees is something that I've always kind of was confused on. Neither one of these commands are found in particularly in the Ten Commandments. In fact, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19, verse 18. Right? Neither one of these are part of the Ten Commandments. So why these two commands? Well, even though they're not found within the Ten Commandments, listen to this, these two commands summarize the entire Ten Commandments. They summarize the entire Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can be summed up by love of God and love of neighbor. One tablet, love of God. One tablet, love of neighbor. The first four commands deal with loving God, worship of God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image or an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All these commands primarily do have to do with your relationship with God, right? Worship of God, right? Love of God. The last five commandments deal with our relationship with others. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Again, look at verse 30 or 40. Matthew 22, verse 40, it says this. On these two commandments, right? Love God, love neighbor. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, that word depend in Greek is interesting. It's krimanumai. Krimanumai. It means depend on, or I think a better understanding of the word is to hang on, or to tie together by. In, In other words, all the law, that means 613 commands, all the law of the Old Testament depend on, hang on, or are tied together by love of God, love of neighbor. And this is true with the Ten Commandments. Again, that's why two tablets. The first tablet, love of God. The second tablet, love of neighbor, love of others. And this brings me to the fourth 
observation, and this is connected to the third. The fourth observation is this. Within the Ten Commandments, worship of God comes first before love of neighbor. Now, this is extremely important. Listen to this again. Within the Ten Commandments, worship of God comes first before love of neighbor. Jesus says that the greatest commandment, the weightiest commandment, is to love God. Again, that's verse 37. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is the heaviest commandment. The second command, the second greatest, the second heaviest command is love of other, love of neighbor. Verse 39, it says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the order here is extremely important. I mean, extremely important. Because without starting with love of God, without starting with worship of God, you have no substance. You have no ought. You have no reason to love others. The love of God gives meaning to the love of neighbor. Again, this is super important. Let me just state it in a different way. You can't have the second greatest commandment, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself without the first greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? And this truth is not just reflected in Jesus. It's reflected in the Ten Commandments. Turn back to, to Exodus chapter 20 now. Exodus chapter 20. I want you to see how the Ten Commandments start. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 2 when you get there. Verse 2, it says this. This is God speaking to Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is how it starts. It starts, the Ten Commandments starts with worship of God. It starts with our relationship with God. It starts with a vertical relationship. Look how it ends. Verse 17, the tenth, the final commandment, verse 17. It says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. It ends with our relationship with man, with our neighbor, a, a horizontal relationship. The first four commandments deal with love of God. You shall know the gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not by chance that these commandments come first, that they come before the last six commandments. They, they come first because, again, without God, without worship of God, without love of God, man has no foundation to not murder, to not commit adultery, to not steal, to not 
bear false witness, to not covet. Listen, if you can understand this truth, if you can get your mind wrapped around this truth, you can understand why our society is falling apart. Right, this truth, that worship of God is foundational to morality and ethics and how we treat one another, how we treat our neighbor. Right, this truth is why our culture breaks the sixth commandment, murder. It's why we have murdered over 60 million babies legally the last 50 years. It's why we celebrate it, fight for it, call it a right. This truth, right, if you can understand it, it's why our culture breaks the seventh commandment, committing adultery. It's why divorce, adultery, premarital sex, cohabitation, pornography, homosexuality is rampant in our culture. It's why man breaks the ninth commandment, bearing false witness. It's why it's just expected now that our politicians and our news agencies will lie. That they will bear false witness, that they will ignore and suppress the truth. Our society is falling apart because we have rejected the foundation to ethics and morality. And the foundation is God. It's worship of God. It's love of God. You know, this is also why the answer is not politics. This is, this is why the answer to our problem is not politics. It's the gospel. Right? Politics are a band-aid. And let me be clear, I am thankful for that band-aid. I'm very thankful it looks like Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. But it's a band-aid. It's a band-aid. Without hearts being changed, without God being the foundation to our morality and ethics, it's just a band-aid. That's why we have to be laser-focused on the gospel, not politics as the church. Don't get me wrong, theology informs our politics, but it's not going to solve the problem. We need to take the good news out to the culture. It's our only hope. It's man's only hope. Real change will only happen at the heart level within a culture and a country. Listen. You can't have the last five commandments without the first. This is why the Ten Commandments start with worship of God. And they end with love of neighbor. We're going to spend much more time on this later as we walk through the Ten Commandments. But for now, the character of God, the worship of God, the love of God is foundational to ethics. You can't separate the two brings me to a fifth observation and it corresponds with the fifth commandment the fifth observation is this that the fifth commandment is transitional the fifth commandment is transitional look at exodus chapter 20 the first four commandments 
have to do with our worship with God. We just talked about that. It has to do with love of God, right? No other gods, no idols, don't misuse God's name, keep the Sabbath. The last five commandments clearly have to do with our relationship with man, right? Love of neighbor, right? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. But what about the fifth commandment? It's interesting. Look at verse 12. It says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is given you. Now, it seems like at face value, and most of you, when I asked this question, probably did this in your mind, that this commandment should be categorized with love of neighbor or love of man, a horizontal relationship, right? Or, let me say it a different way, that, that this should be categorized as love of man because, again, it's a, it's a horizontal relationship, a relationship with man, not worship of God necessarily. But it's part of the first five commandments. Now, because I like symmetry and I really like five on this side and five on this side, it really bothers me. <laughs> In fact, there's really a, a big debate with theologians. I mean, obviously, Ten Commandments are well studied and thought through. There's a debate on this that some say the Ten Commandments should be four on this tablet and six on this tablet. The first four have to do with love of God. The last six have to do with love of, of neighbor or, or love of fellow man. And that includes the fifth commandment, honor your parents. Some say honoring your father and mother has to do more with worship of God. They say that parents are God's representative, not merely a neighbor. Therefore, the Ten Commandments should be split five and five. Five, right, love of God, including the fifth, right, honor your parents, and five, love of neighbor. Why is this important? Well, here's why. I believe the fifth commandment is a transitional commandment, and this is why it's confusing which one it should be on, which side. This is what Mark Rooker, a theologian, writes. It is rightly seen that the parental law, or the fifth commandment, is a, a pivotal as one moves from obligations to God to obligations to fellow human beings and society. This transitional nature of the fifth commandment explains why there's a debate whether this commandment should be read with the previous four or the last five. In other words, the parent-child relationship I think we all know this. It's different than almost any other relationship. The parent-child relationship is a foundational relationship. In some ways, it's foundational. I want you to think about this and just feel the weight of this statement right here. In some ways, it's foundational to our relationship with God, to worship of God. How? Our relationship with our parents is our first understanding. It's our first, listen to this word, revelation of who God is. As parents, we have been given a stewardship and a responsibility to represent God. Our love and compassion, our discipline and instruction as parents should point our children to God, right? Should point to his love and compassion his discipline and instruction. Why don't you think about this? What has God, probably more than anything else, what has God revealed himself 
in relationship to his people. Father. Father. In in Exodus 4, God said, Israel is my firstborn son. In Ephesians 1, 5, it says, God predestined us, for those that are saved, the church, that's the us, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In other words, God has revealed himself as a father. This is both Old and New Testaments. In fact, listen to Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you hear that? The compassion parents show to their children is a revelation of what God's relationship is to his people. God uses our understanding of fatherhood and parenthood to reveal his character. Parents, that's a huge responsibility. That's a huge responsibility. We are called to point our children to God by how we parent, by how we love our children. But also think about this. That wasn't weighty enough. What else does God reveal himself as in relationship to his people? Husband. Think about that husband, right? Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband, of the, or for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ. Well, who's Christ? He's the son of God. He's the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. Right? As Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Christ is the husband. The church is the bride. Right? Marriage is meant to reflect. It's meant to be a revelation of Christ's relationship with the church. Let me ask you a question. When is our first exposure to marriage relationship? At home. As a child. As we watch mom and dad interact. That's our first exposure to what the marriage relationship is. So let me just ask you, parents, what do your children see when they look at your marriage? What does it reveal about God? Parenthood is man's first revelation of God. Think about this. Before children can read or even talk to hear special revelation. You you with me on that? Before kids have the rationale to even have a concept of a God, God reveals himself through the love and compassion and instruction and discipline and grace of parents. The role of parents is extremely important. And this is why we should honor parents. Right? This commandment is not just to parents. It's also to every single person that has had parents, which is everyone. We should honor our parents, even if they were horrible parents. Right? Just the fact that they had that responsibility, right? we should honor them. 
But I also think this is important. Think about this. The family is, is not just where we have our first revelation and exposure of God, right? Love of God. The family is also foundational to society. Love of neighbor. The last five commandments. Listen, you attack the family. You attack marriage, which is exactly what Satan is doing right now in our society. You destroy society. You destroy lives. Let me just give you some statistics, and, and I'll just leave it here. 63% of youth suicides, broken homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, broken homes. 71% of high school dropouts, single-family homes. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. Now, before I go any further, I just want to say, if you're a single parent this morning, and hear this, please. If you're a single parent this morning, God has a special calling on your life. These statistics are not meant to discourage you. If you're a single mom, stay faithful. Get involved in the church. And I believe God will bless you. And listen, church, love on those single moms. Be there for them. This is not meant to discourage you, but these stats show the importance of family. The importance of parenting for man's understanding of God and for the stability of all of society. Therefore, parents and parenting should be honored. The fifth commandment is a transitional commandment. It transitions us from the worship of God, the first four commandments, to our obligation to fellow man, fellow human beings, our obligation to, to our neighbors, to society, the last five commandments. Which brings me to the sixth commandment. Sixth commandment, or sixth commandment, shoot. Sixth observation, sorry. The sixth observation is this. The Ten Commandments begin and end with internal thoughts, not external actions. Right? They begin and end with internal thoughts. Look at the first commandment. In verse 3, it says this, You shall have no other gods before me. This has to do with worship of God, heart worship of God. Right? Now look at the Tenth Commandment, verse 17. You shall not covet. That's internal. Again, within the heart. It's a heart level. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Right? And that's internal thoughts. That's coveting internal thoughts, which results into external actions. What you worship will dictate external actions. What you covet will dictate external actions, right? Coveting is the first step to stealing. It's the first step to adultery. It's the first step to murder. Therefore, the first and tenth commandments, which bracket all the ten commandments, tell us, I think, this is how we should interpret all the ten commandments 
teach us that God is concerned with our hearts, not just external actions. And you know what? This is exactly how Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 5, 21, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said, that, or you have heard it or heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Right? That's the sixth commandment. Right? Exodus 20, verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Right? And what, what's the penalty for that commandment? Right? If you murder, it's the death penalty right? in the Old Testament. The judgment is a life for a life. Right? Well, listen to what Jesus says in verse 21. Right? You have heard it that um, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus takes the sixth commandment and applies it to the heart. Right? Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Right? He does this with the seventh commandment too. This is Matthew 5, 27. Jesus says, you have heard it. If you heard that, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, that's the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her, or with her in his heart. Again, internal thoughts, not just external actions. Internal spiritual thoughts, not just external physical actions. Right? Listen to what Philip Riken writes, because when you see the Ten Commandments in this light, they come more, they become very much more demanding on us. Right? This is what Philip Riken writes. When we see the laws internal, not just external, we begin to see how demanding God's law truly is and how thoroughly his law exposes our sin. If we thought that somehow we could get um, by on good behavior, we are mistaken. Since the law is spiritual, we must apply the Ten Commandments to our inward affections as well as to our outward actions. This brings me to the seventh and final observation, and we should get out early. Or at least on time. Pardon. The seventh and final observation is that the personal pronouns in chapter 20 are singular. Here's where we get personal. Often, the English language frustrates me. <laughs> it's like this love-hate relationship, right? It's my heart language. The only language I think in is the only language I really know well, but it frustrates me. If you ever taught the English language, it's frustrated you too. Um, I've said this many times. Our second personal pronoun does not translate well from other language into English. Right? And this is because the singular form and the plural form of the second personal pr pronoun is the same exact word, you. It should be you, singular, if I'm talking to one person, and y'all, if I'm talking to more than one person. In fact, if they would just do that in Scripture, it would be very helpful. 
but instead, every single you is you, and you have to guess, or you have to go to the original language to know if it's singular or plural. Right? It's unfortunate. Because look how the Ten Commandments are stated. Over and over again, we see the second personal pronoun. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Right? Over and over again. And remember what's going on here. God is speaking right, from the mountain, from the fire of Mount Sinai to all of Israel, well over a million people. Right? And he is saying, you shall, you shall, you shall. And what number do you think that personal pronoun is? just told you in the heading of this point but is it you singular or when god is speaking to everyone is it you all plural well what's interesting is that it's singular you would guess in the context of what's going on here that it would be plural again because god is speaking to a group of people a large group of people all of israel but god uses a singular personal pronoun he uses you singular why well we're going to talk about this a lot more when we get to the second commandment because this is actually very important in the ideologies that are taking over america right now to understand that god used the singular personal pronoun on purpose and he did this simply because we are all individually responsible for keeping each commandment. In other words, every individual Israelite that was hearing God was responsible individually for keeping the commandment. And every individual person, listen to this, every individual person will be held accountable for breaking it. Again, Ten Commandments transcend all cultures, all covenants, all peoples, all times. So let's end here. When you have an understanding for just how demanding the law is, we're just talking about the Ten Commandments, for, for how demanding the Ten Commandments are, right? When you understand that the law is internal and spiritual, not just external and physical, you can read through Ten Commandments, like I've never murdered someone, never committed adultery. But when you take it to an internal heart level, You can't do that. When you understand that it doesn't just regulate external actions, but internal thoughts, anger is murder within the heart. Lust is adultery within the heart. You very quickly realize that you, singular, that you have broken God's law. That we are all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. That was clear in the garden. It's clear throughout scriptures, Ezekiel and the New Testament, Romans. The wages of sin is death. Listen, the law without grace is hopeless. It's hopeless. It's frustrating. It's condemning. It acts like a mirror showing us how sinful we truly are and that the day of judgment is coming. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his son, that he sent his son to live a perfect life. In other words, Jesus obeyed the law perfectly, externally and inwardly. He perfectly 
love God with all of his heart. Then he died on the cross for our sins, for your sins. He paid the price that we owed, in other words, death. Therefore, whoever believes in him, Jesus, whoever trusts in his grace will have eternal life because Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and he died to pay the price we deserve. The demands of the law should drive us to grace because it's our only hope. It's our only hope because we are sinners and the law exposes that sin. So let me just end here. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that he came, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, do that now. He can hear your internal thoughts. Cry out to him in your heart. Right, Trust in his son. Let's pray. just still amazes me that we can call you father that you love me because of what your son has done for me not because i obeyed the law i failed and i continue to fail but by your grace and love you have paved a way you have made a way that i can have a relationship with you and call you father i pray that we don't ever take that lightly that you have revealed yourself as a loving, compassionate, good father to us. Help us to see you in that light, Lord. I pray for anyone that, that hasn't put their faith in your son, Lord, that they wouldn't leave today or stop listening online, Lord, before they do that. That they would be driven to grace as they look at the, the law, the standard that they can't keep, that they haven't kept, that they won't keep, Lord the hopeless standard, Lord, because we are sinners and that they would run to the grace that you are offering them this morning. In your son's name.